The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan, of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness, superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. This is Nightwatch, reporting from New York, Travis Marshall. Tonight, more on the news that has rocked Manhattan, if not the world. And now for the news. We've got Greg Wiseman here joining us to discuss recent current events in Gargoyles fandom, as well as my co-host, Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello. Hi. By now, you should all have your copies of issue three of Gargoyles. And if you don't, you might want to skip ahead. We'll make sure there's a time code in the uh, show notes. And I thought it was fantastic. A lot of buildup. A lot less uh, info dumps this time, and the one info dump that there was was needed for long-time readers because in the SLG comics, we didn't get this, and it was the info on who's running Nightstone Unlimited. I think we, I think we got a lot of info still. Like We're still learning who everybody is in, in respect to each other, and so, I mean, there was a whole lot of action in this one, and it was all just beautifully executed. Um, yes, but, uh, again, we're still getting, you know, uh, getting used to everybody and we're still learning who everyone is. And, and there, and I think that, uh, um, yeah, we're still getting the info. It's just, uh, sliding in there. And Broadway may have been the POV character in this issue, but I really thought Xanatos stole the show. Well, because it's Xanatos. <laughs> That's what he do. He stealed the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, no lies was, detected. He was really good in this. Uh, I loved, I loved the exchange with Cold Fire, where like she's just like, "Yeah, you're real generous with those you exploit," and he was like, "Ouch." <laughs> You know what amused me about that also? One of the art choices in that last panel. I have spent years fighting with people on the internet saying, no, he's not an evil Tony Stark. And then we get this shot straight out of the MCU. (laughs) Back to square one. (laughs) Yes. But no, I, uh, no, it it was terrific. Um, Greg, it, you can usually tell when a writer is having fun writing, it seeps through, and you must have had a blast writing Xanatos. We had a blast reading him. I mean, you know, he's always fun. Um, it's uh, great because it's easy because um, his voice is just so clear in probably all our heads, you know. Um, but uh, he kind of writes himself. Um, it uh it's a you know a nice uh nice to get him in there nice to see him in action uh uh without losing any of his edge so to speak um you know and also seeing what his motivation is you know that uh from his point of view there are certain lines 
you know, he never used to think there was a, he used to think there was no line he wouldn't be prepared to cross. And he's found a line he's not prepared to cross anymore. Um, And in fact, quite the reverse, he's going to help fix this. Um, Now, one could argue, does he have other motivations for wanting to be helpful in this moment? You know, probably. Okay. I mean, always. I I would right. it'd be foolish to think no. But that doesn't mean that he won't, you know, he's perfectly happy to play the hero when it suits him to. But also this is a line that he's learned he won't cross. He just won't. Um and uh that makes him uh, I guess a slightly better person than Thelog at this stage, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> slightly Um, (laughs) but uh but yeah he's always he's fun and and the idea of the point of view character is not like oh here's where you're going to find out everything you've ever wanted to know about the internal life of elisa or angela or broadway you know that's not the idea behind it um the idea is uh you know if i did a story about broadway Obviously, you'd find out a lot more about him. But this isn't a story about him. This is a story where you're just seeing his point of view on events. Um, and I thought it would be fun across a dozen issues to see different points of view as opposed to, hey, uh, an omniscient point of view, which is what you know most comics are. Or uh, you know, just sticking with one person through 12 issues. Obviously, you'd get to know a lot more about that person, but I'm trying to sort of reintroduce all the characters here to everyone. So I wanted to give everyone just a little taste of their internal uh, monologue, so to speak. Um, but well, and it, I think idea, it really works with Broadway never, because he's got that film noir thing going on always. Like, you know, right. so I like Broadway's point of view. Yeah, but the idea was never like, Oh, here's where he, it's Broadway's point of view. So now we're going to delve deep into his character. No, that's not what that's not what this particular device is being used for, you know. Um, and uh, but you know, it, it's fun for me to sort of uh, recast uh, the point of view issue by issue by issue, and and uh, and that's been fun. I like that what we. I, uh, I like that we're reminded uh, of Fox's powers. That was fun. That was nice to see. It was nice to see. Like, hey guys, remember this? <laughs> a nice little way to remind us of the children of Oberon and that they exist. I have a feeling mm-hmm. they're coming up, whether it's sooner or later. Well, Greg knows. We don't know, and he's not, probably not going to tell us. <laughs> but um. One of the things, and Jen, you and I were talking about this when we first got our look at the issue, it was very nice to see, because sometimes a lot of people, even in the fandom, forget that Broadway is much smarter than he looks. Yeah. Uh, He's the one that puts it together. It's Stalag. Like, I mean, Xanatos clearly knows from the (laughs) get-go. Like, (laughs) the obvious answer here, uh, if it's not him, then... uh, Severius and Thalog are definitely uh, the prime suspects, and I just, I, I just love Broadway. <laughs> I just do. <laughs> He's I, you a know, sweetie. 
I am I am loving Coal Fire far more than I thought I was going to. Like she just uh, has wormed her way right into my heart. I absolutely love her. Yeah, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. uh, it's easy to forget because she's a robot, and you know, it's a metal face um, and all that kind of thing. But the voice is Cece's, you know, and uh, yeah. the truth is, is that in the show, we only got little tastes of that back in the day, but um, it doesn't take much to sort of extrapolate, you know, what we uh, could and would have done with her had we kept going. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, I, she's uh, easy Again, uh, I mean, frankly, there isn't a character here that I'm finding hard to write, but um, she, again, becomes someone who's sort of easy um, because she's a grown-up. And uh, strangely, you know, uh, you don't see a lot of grown-ups in fiction. (laughs) And and so it's fun Mm -hmm. to sort of write one. One of the things that I also enjoyed was, I mean, we've talked about Elisa's flaws before, and Elisa's very intelligent. I thought it was completely in character for her to blame Xanatos as well, because she's not perfect, and she was blinded by her hatred for this man, her very justifiable hatred, but she's still rational enough a person to come around. Hey, the Mazas come in, like, I mean, they're... They're that's it's Xanatos as far as they're concerned, and because they've already got that bias against him, um, so like the both of them, like immediately jumping, that I, I, I think it's the best that Broadway was the one that was like, let's back this up a little bit, because he's the one that like I think would get their attention the most, um, you know, Goliath can be big and 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 loud, but. Broadway's going to be like, hey, 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 gang. <laughs> Let's think this through a little bit first. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the idea is that Broadway, Broadway logics it out over the course of page one. You know, um, Goliath has to hear what both Broadway and David have to say. But by the time he's uh, finished this, he's made the connections and so you know you get to page five and even though elisa's sort of warning him off trusting xanatos uh goliath is no now now of course the difference is is that goliath speaks with such authority that everyone does chill out like broadway can't get everyone to chill out um goliath can but goliath doesn't get there if broadway doesn't step up in the first place and Goliath, being a good leader, listened to his clan. I just, I yeah. just that whole scene, the whole way it came about, like how we're bringing Xanatos into this, you know, and everything, and uh, introducing his family too again. And uh, I just thought it, it it worked perfectly well, and it was so in character for everyone. And it just, it was such a good, <laughs> so good. I love it. Mm-hmm. Thalog just looks so menacing. I mean, George draws a fantastic Thalog, and I love they incorporated the blades into his regular gauntlets. <laughs> that was nice to see. Yeah, th- th- what I was going to say was George is really just doing an 
unbelievable job. Even though he did mm-hmm. forget Xanatos's eyeliner. <laughs> but I called yeah, him out you, on it. You called him out on, <laughs> on Twitter and he was like, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the prettiest eyeliner. <laughs> that was funny. Mm-hmm. He's doing no, a, that... just a ridiculously good job. Yeah, and it was uh, fun to see Xanatos suit up again. I don't think we've seen him do that since Possession back in 1996. He didn't do it in SLG, and he didn't do it in the Goliath Chronicles, so it was nice to see him armor up. You want to... How do I put it? You know, you don't want Xanatos to just become another superhero, right? Or even another supervillain, for that matter. You know, Xanatos doesn't need armor to be dangerous. So if you put him in armor all the time, then you sort of forget, or I would think it becomes easy to forget how dangerous he is just standing there smiling at you. You know? Right. He doesn't need to throw punches to be the dangerous one in the room. Right. And so you want to be, by you, I mean me, I want to be stingy (laughs) with... (laughs) with the use of the armor, but again, um, the theft of a child, um, that's his one button, you know, uh, or at least one of very few. And so it's like for this, it's Owen, get my armor. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So you have it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And, We'll talk about the kid momentarily, but I just want to say, when I was reading this, it was a nice contrast to when we saw them fight Thalog in issue five, where Thalog mostly had the upper hand until Delilah defused things here. Things were solved pretty quickly to the point where Thalog felt massively outgunned. And then I stopped and thought, okay, this is fine now here, but then I remembered the end of issue five of SLG and knowing the way you write villains and the way you escalate their powers and their danger. I'm a little bit afraid of for the next time he shows up, because I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as easy as this turned out to be. Well, I don't think it, I I think uh, it was too easy. And there's, uh, you know, again, he's Xanatos's, brainchild literally and uh it's uh i'm sure there's a plan c and d and e um for this whole endeavor i think the deal is is that the battle wasn't over i mean he was clearly outnumbered but battle wasn't over and who knows what he would have done next it's just that his motivation for the battle evaporated um if and uh, if the uh, the baby had been a mutate, then the battle had still been on, still going. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, right, I think so. And you don't know what he had up his figurative sleeve, you know, um, for mm-hmm. next. But but before it got that far, he gets disappointing news that renders it all moot. Most people, but disappointing for him. <laughs> on that note i love the one two punch with the baby because it's easy hard easy to forget it's been years since issue seven of slg came out when we found out maggie was pregnant so 
a lot of the fandom biologists have talked about what that baby could be, would be, and in some cases even should be. And um, so when we first see the baby, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense based on what science tells us. And then that last panel happened. (laughs) And then the last panel. Yeah, you know, we're having our fun. (laughs) <laughs> yeah like but i like and to me i mean we start off with uh being reminded of fox's powers with the glowy stuff in her eyes and then we end it with learning some someone else's powers with the the electric eye thing going on i did not pick up on that nice <laughs> that's an awesome parallel it's, it's it, this is this is fun this is so much fun and i was good to yeah. see uh the mazas again they're looking not well yeah oh yeah oh also mentioned nice, uh beth again also nice job with the baby's name no michael peter maza <laughs> he's named after michael horse so too so he's named after peter twice <laughs> i mean i know in the universe it's uh i know in the universe it's uh maggie's father but that's still a nice touch <laughs> uh actually uh I should take credit for that and just say, yeah, except that uh, it really uh, is in honor of Michael Reeves um, was uh, was my feeling that, um, you know, uh, Michael was a irreplaceable part of the making of the show. And so wanted to slip a little minor tribute to to him in there. very nice. He deserves it. But, you know, Michael Horse, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but these three issues add up to the first quote unquote complete episode. And it was fun after all these years to come back and get another one. And um, we're, um, I know you said we're. Good for six at one point. Is that number increased yet, or? Uh... Yeah, I think I think we're looking good for twelve. Um, I mean, that could change. You know, if sales really, which I'm hoping they won't, but I suppose if sales fell off a cliff, um, you know, they might cut their losses and stop. But it looks good. I've done a little bit of. Uh, I'm currently scripting five right now. Um, but I've done a little bit of work on six and seven uh, just so that we could do things like solicits and things like that. I think I've seen one cover for six even. Um, Nice. But um, so I think we're good through 12 unless, yeah, unless, you know, sales just completely tank. Um, So, you know, and I say that because, you know, I, I want to encourage people to continue to go out and buy every issue. Uh, I know there's an inclination to wait for trades and stuff like that. And I get that. I really do. But, you know, you don't get up to the number it takes to make a trade. If not the numbers to start with. Yeah. If not, if people are buying the book in the first place. And um, I I think that, um, Obviously, the sales on the first issue were stellar. Sales on the second issue were absolutely respectable and strong. Um, I haven't heard yet numbers on the third issue. 
pre-sale numbers on the third issue. Um, but I, my point is just, you know, if this isn't Batman, it's not Spider-Man. If it, if it starts to fall off, you know, we could be in trouble. Um, so it's really important that, that the fans, uh, continue to support the book if they want more new stories, uh, because a book like this all on its own with no universe supporting it, so to speak, um, you know, is always going to be in some amount of danger unless, uh, the fans are pretty religious about supporting it. And I know saying that is also selfish on my part. I'm aware of that, you know, that, oh yeah, buy my book. Um, or else, <laughs> but it's just, but it's also true. I mean, that if, uh, um, I'm not asking people to go out and buy hundreds of copies, uh, though I'm not objecting to that either, by the way, but, um, but, uh, what I am saying is, is that, you know, if all our fans go out and buy a copy of every issue, we're probably in good shape, but if fans sort of go, well, uh, yeah, I'll get around to it. I'll, I'll get that. I'll pick it up when I get a chance or, I'm just going to wait for the trade on this. Um, you know, again, you're you're running the risk that maybe there won't be a trade um, because there's they need the issues to produce the material in the first place, and the trade becomes, from a publisher standpoint, a bonus product. Oh, we've already paid for the content. Now we're just now we're just repackaging it in a new way. But in order to keep getting them to pay for the content, this sales on individual issues have to stay up at a respectable level they don't all have to be at issue one's level which was insane um positive insane but uh but they have to you know stay up to where issue two was or at least in the ballpark of that so my favorite page of this thing is page 19 though actually you guys haven't mentioned that at all yeah i'm checking that to see which one was page 19 oh yeah yeah you know what because yeah because I'm like, there's one part we haven't talked about. <laughs> oh, yeah. The new That's faces. A, introducing us to uh, That's a lot of... When I first saw this page, my first reaction was, that's a lot of new Gargwiki entries. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's nice to see the Underworld fleshed out. We've talked about the, fleshing out the Dracons in uh, previous episodes and now fleshing out the underworld and um so that's really cool and they're all sk- you're really building this dino dracon up so i'm looking forward to meeting him and i guess now we can practically count the days till that happens yeah he, they're they're all quite concerned uh clearly because they're all in the same room together to talk about how concerned they are and i get the impression that these people don't like to hang out with each other not mm-hmm. too much but, so. but no, that was really cool to see. And uh, also one more thing. I recently did the math, and yeah, it hurt because I'm not very good at math. And counting the SLG titles, you said you back in the day you pitched 13 premises for a third season. And to get all of those, we need to make it to issue 27, give or take. And um, are you still following that same plan if things changed much since then or uh yeah i mean they have changed some i mean um again i'm trying to execute a comic book that makes use of that medium as opposed to television so um and i think and i know i've said this before on the on the podcast but 
issues one, two, and three tell kind of a, a story with a little bit of foreshadowing for what's coming um, with Dino, I suppose. But um, uh, but starting with issue four, things really kick into gear, and I feel like I'm back in the mode of writing comic books as opposed to adapting television to comics. Um, and what that means is that the order of events that we would have done on a TV series, particularly back in the nineties where, cause we were an episodic series. We, there was a sequence to those episodes without a doubt, but we were still episodic. We told a story per episode. We just were very careful about laying pipe and picking up on threads from previous episodes and stuff like that. But it was very episodic. There isn't the same need to do that. And I think if there's a flaw in the first three issues, for me, it's that I was very much writing like I'd write a an individual television episode, you know, laying a little pipe for what's coming. But basically, here's my story. Act one, act two, act three. And um, I feel like toward the end of the SLG run, I've gotten much better at really taking advantage of the medium of comic books and not just just in essence, taking a TV script, not that there was a script for this story from 1995 or something like that, if there wasn't. But the point is, is that uh, I was still sort of uh, writing these first three issues bound in a, in a TV mode because that's what I've been doing for 90% of the the last uh, 35 years, you know, whatever. Um, but uh I feel by issue four, it's starting to take more advantage of of this medium. And so, yeah, it's not quite – the presentation is more overlapping and, and uh, less, you know, okay, here's a story that would have been in episode one of season three. Here's a story that would have been episode two of season it's, – it, it's more of a comic book now. Um, and – so things have been reordered. I, I don't think any huge things have changed, but it's about execution. You know, it's not just about the ideas. Um, the ideas I've had, I've had for three decades, but um, the, or nearly three decades, but the execution of that, that's all happening in real time for me. And um, so um, like I had these characters in mind um, that you see here, Ying Pei and Hurricane and Isaac and Grisha. But I don't think I had names from for them. Um, if I did, I'd forgotten them because I came up with these names for this issue. But I knew these characters. I mean, I knew who these characters were. I just hadn't had to execute them. So I hadn't sat down and come up with names for them um, until now, uh, to a large extent. Um, and... Uh, and then, you know, George brings them to life. You know, if this had been the show, it would be Greg Guler or Mike Bosberg or, or someone in Japan, I suppose. But, uh, you know, now you've got George bringing them to life and he just does a fantastic job. I think particularly with these new characters, it just, I mean, in essence, in one panel, just telling you who they are. And that's why I love this page. I mean, I... I just think George does all this great action. This is an action-heavy issue, and does a fantastic job 
But I look at what he's done on this page and I'm like, this is cool, man. This is really, this really. And I really feel mm -hmm. like the lack of, of motion and action here, like just puts the weight on it too. Like, right. Like it makes it more solemn and more like, oh shit. (laughs) So like this is, and the colors and everything, like he really um, set a stage here. Yeah, the, I just, uh, the mood of this one page yeah, in an otherwise pretty, uh, you know, um, and everything, kinetic. Yeah, uh, everything the rest, else the whole is rest colorful of the is so and kinetic. moving and, you know, it's I mean, even if you, even if you compare page one with page 19 and... Yeah. Which again is just a bunch of heads, right? And yet there's so much that's kinetic about page one. Um and 19 is all about tension. Yeah. You know, it's about the lack of we're not moving because if we move, you might think I'm reaching for my gun and then we're all gonna die, you know, kind of sense to it. And again, I, I just want to give George so much credit. Because what did I write in a script? It's a bunch of talking heads, right? You know, I mean, it, it, but what George brings to it is so much mood and, and tone and tension here. So that's why, uh, you know, I look at this whole thing and there's all this great stuff and the stuff with the baby is cool. And, and I, I, I don't mean to imply I don't like the rest of it. I love the rest of it, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I just, I just, what he did here just uh, knocked me out. Just really knocked me out um, on this one page that seems so straightforward and simple, but uh, he's done such incredible. You can feel it. You can feel yeah. it. Yeah. And again, one of the differences being that, you know, he's got models to go by on almost every character on every other page, except the baby. Um, and uh, and yet here he's got to create four out of the five characters in the thing. And and yet they're each distinct. They feel like they could be part of the show, but they are their own, you know, unique individual. So I, I just wanted to flag this one page. It's a little uh, self-aggrandizing it when I first bring it up, but, but it's really about George. Um, well, he deserves it. Yeah. I think he's too. I think he, I think you two are making a great team. Yeah, considering we're in two different countries and, and <laughs> multiple time zones away, you know, I think we're, we're doing, doing pretty great. good at pulling it we're together. Pretty good, yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, no, the fandom definitely is is loving him too. So mm-hmm. it's good to see. All right, uh, we'll eventually t- discuss the story all three issues again when as a story in sequence once we get there. But um, it was great to give our first impressions on this and then to see where this thing leads to. And um, all right. I do have a couple Sounds- things to oh. plug. Yes, please. Um, so one is uh, I'm going to wonder, when do you think this is dropping, give or take, Greg? It's dropping the last Friday of the uh, month, the 24th. February? Yep. So I'm going to be at Wicked Comic Expo on April 15th and 16th in Loveland, Colorado. 
And obviously you can go online and look up Wicked Comic Expo. Um, Greg Guler and I are doing a panel on gargoyles. I'm going to have a table there where I'll be signing and selling stuff. And uh, um, so I'm hoping that uh, folks will stop by uh, and say hello. If you are in the vicinity of Loveland, Colorado on April 15th and 16th. And so that's some news. But uh, for me, the big news is, and I want to make sure this is really clear, not this year, summer of 2024, okay? 30th anniversary gargoyle celebration at Convergence in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in July of 2024, Tom Adcox and myself are confirmed as guests of Convergence. Uh, and I got permission this week to tell people about it. Um, they're, you know, for obvious reasons, not promoting that right now because they've got a convention in 2023 to promote. But they said it's okay for me to tell people. Um, and so for the 30th anniversary of Gargoyles, Tom and I will be at Convergence uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota in July. And we do hope that people, uh, Gargoyles fans will sort of think ahead, plan ahead, maybe save up a bit of their money and, and, uh, figure on let's, let's have a big old Gargoyles party, uh, and reunion and all that stuff, uh, in, uh, 2024. Uh, and I'm, very excited about that. I know the 25th anniversary sort of slid by and we didn't really have the opportunity to celebrate it. And I felt bad about that. I couldn't quite find a con to sort of latch on to. Well, play ball with us, I guess, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, but yeah, like a parasite latch on. Uh, but Convergence, um, Convergence seemed uh, happy to have us and uh and uh convergence is a con that i've been to i don't know five or six times at this point it's one of my favorite it's cons. A, it's a fun con it it's re really well run um it's big enough that you know you don't feel like oh there's no one here uh but it's not like so big like san diego or or whatever that you just feel lost and and overwhelmed by it it's really to me like the perfect size and um it's run by some really great people and uh we always have a good time uh i say this the next thing with tremendous dread but we'll have a radio play um and yes um so i get to help uh, with that right you do get to help with okay. that you have to show up well, but yes yeah i'll, I'll be there i will audition <laughs> Um, but we will, uh, I'll have to write something, I guess. <laughs> it's probably a good idea to actually have a play. To, <laughs> to I do mean, a radio play I, the last time I was at Convergence, <laughs> um, I started writing this radio play and, and one of the other guests, um, was, uh, Chris Carter, who's one of the dynamic music partners who, who does music for, he did it for Spectacular Spider-Man. He did it for Young Justice, along with Lolita Ritmanis and uh, Michael Christian. And, and Chris was there and he's like, hey, um, 
doing this radio play. Would you like musical accompaniment? And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And then I said something <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I said, hey, what if we made it a musical? Uh, oh, no. And, it's uh, on YouTube. Like, yeah. And so, yeah, it's on YouTube. <laughs> I and, missed that. <laughs> uh, and it turned out to be a lot of fun, but it was the moment I said it and the moment he said yes, we were then looking at each other like, oh my God, what did we just agree to do? <laughs> because then I had to write a song too. I didn't just have to write a play. I also had to write a song. Um, Listeners, he's not promising a musical this time. <laughs> no, I'm not promising a musical this time. That's for sure. Um, that was a lot of extra work. Um, we had to have special musical rehearsals and uh, it was uh, hard. Um, but uh, there will be a radio play. I'm promising that. And there'll be all sorts of great panels about uh, um, the show. And uh, and they have other things going on, too. Uh, it's a for- huge cosplay con. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and really very fun. And uh, so, like I said, uh, obviously, it's more than a year away. But what that means is that if you're a Gargoyles fan, you have time to sort of plan ahead. Um, figure out what you need to do to make sure you get there. And uh, I recommend going in 2023. I'm not going to be there, but um, but like I said, it's a great con. And if you're around Minneapolis and you haven't been to Convergence, I recommend trying it. But uh, definitely sort of keep in mind for 2024. So that was my big announcement. Awesome. Now. So excited. <laughs> Me too. We'll be there. Yeah. All right, and that's the news, I think. Anything else, Greg? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, and that's the news. So to keep listening. We've got a fun show coming up right now. This has been Nightwatch. Sleep well. Welcome back, Gargoyles fans, to another episode of Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm your co-host, Greg Bashansky. And joining me as usual is my po- co-host and partner in crime, Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello. And rejoining us as usual is the supervising producer, co-creator, and writer of the SLG and Dynamite comic books, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hey, everyone. And we are pleased to have joining us again our landlord who hosts our website, <laughs> Mr. Zach Joyner. Oh, it's a pleasure being here. <laughs> and... Joining us from the Whelmed podcast, the uh, Whelmed Young Justice Files, Mr. Neil Powell. Thank you. I I am very excited to be here. We are very Glad excited to have you. To have you. Yeah, good stuff. And um, I suppose we should begin by: um, Do either of you have any projects coming up right now that on your shows that you would like to plug? You know, just a little brief plug. Brief plug. Um, literally the next day from when we're recording this uh we're going to be going live on youtube on our youtube page um spidey dude radio network we're gonna be doing a three part uh three person interview with uh tom defalco pat olive and ron friends they were the creators of uh the spider girl series and so we're gonna be talking about that on make my mayday and and, uh we've been planning that for a long time so it's 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 good that it finally kind of came to fruition and so we got that of course we are Moving head along on the regular, um, on the Spidey experience, we're doing all the regular uh, uh, 
comics stuff. We just finished our dark web coverage. And so now we're moving on to much better stories. I hope. (laughs) (laughs) And Neil. Um, Yeah. If you want to listen to a podcast, that's very much like this one, but instead for young justice, certainly head over and listen to whelmed the young justice files. And we're dangerously close to starting our in-depth reviews for season four. Um, Unfortunately, one of the co-hosts moved to where there was no internet. So that has been quite the struggle uh, as we navigate the fact that um, satellite internet is the best option, which in my personal opinion is the producer. That's not an option. Um, the, so we're navigating that and we're very, very close. Wow. There's still places without internet. <laughs> yeah. My hometown wow. just literally secured a multi hundred million dollar contract to try to get more rural areas. Cause I'm from a very rural area originally. And, and uh, they, it's, it's, it still is a problem outside of the major cities and especially in the middle part of America. So um, yeah, hopefully so, cell phone get- as well um, to the point where rich has basically said he'll wait until about one to two in the morning so that he can get enough cell service that he's not sharing with anyone to get things done. Just the concept of now it's my tower. Cause everyone's going to sleep. <laughs> Uh, ye olden days huh <laughs> all right I, I, yeah, we all remember dial up so i can Not i can me. hear the my, sound my memory's my memory's shot i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> no. i can still hear yes jennifer i can also still hear the sound you hear that screeching mm. yep <clears throat> all right it's these well, days Miller. Yeah. Well, Neil, we're meeting you for the first time. Do you have any background with gargoyles? So it's been a long time. And then in preparation for this, I I started my rewatch and then I stopped. Um, I thought that'd give probably a more interesting perspective that um, I've only stopped at the end of City of Stone. And I haven't continued through season two yet. As soon as we're done, all bets are off. Um, And then I, you know, just knowing what I know, I probably won't watch season three. So there, there we go. Um, So, but yeah, it's been many, many years since I've sat down and watched them all together. Um, But like I said, in preparation, I did that uh, for the show. Awesome. And Zach, have you seen any more gargoyles since, since we last saw you? So um, the last time I was on the show, I did the we did the with a five part pilot. I uh, watched all those, and then I rewatched those again in preparation for this, and watched uh, certain episodes in preparation for this episode, as well as City of Stone. So, uh, and I have read the uh, the new the co- new comic, and uh, I don't have it near me to grab, but uh, <laughs> I have read the new comic, and and I really enjoyed it. So um, there's. It's funny. There's certain episodes that, um, as I've been rewatching, I'm like, oh, like my my memory starts getting triggered and remembering from when I was a kid uh, watching those those particular episodes. So, um, City of Stone was one of them. So I was like, oh, I think it was like the second or third episode. I remember distinctly remember watching it uh, as as a kid. So that was a lot of fun uh, for me to go back and revisit. And, um, I, I, I want to get through season two and then I will watch season three, but uh, I will watch it um, for educational purposes only. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to watch it if you're going to trash on it. So, <laughs> as, a, as a fan of the Spider-Man clone saga, I, you know, I, I know how to I know how to hate read 
and hate watch. So it's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm the complete opposite. I have what I personally consider the perfect um, heroes watching experience because a friend mm-hmm. of mine, I hadn't watched it when it was on and a friend said, watch the first season and don't watch anymore. If you have any questions, he, he said, just ask me. So I stopped at the first season and I think that's just a wonderful show. <laughs> Yeah, the first season was phenomenal. It, it was definitely amazing. And then season two happened. <laughs> wasn't that wasn't that screwed up by the writer strike? It was. It yeah. was very much so. It, that that's why uh, season two was only half the episodes. It was end up splitting stuff up. I look. Yeah, I'm I'm amazed. I remember that far back. So I'm good on me tonight. All right. Well, before we jump in, you said you've been reading the comic. Greg, you've been curious about reactions from people who don't know the show as well as, say, Jen and I do. So, uh, Zach, tell Greg what you thought of the first issue. Uh, For me, coming in cold to this comic series, uh, I felt like the first issue was incredibly new reader friendly. Uh, It was refreshing for me because as somebody that reads a lot of mainstream comics, Sometimes if you're not reading for a long time, you you can be a little lost. And I never felt lost when I was reading it. I'm like, okay, the way that the story was structured and the way that the writing, the art was, I I had an idea of who everybody was and I wasn't going, who's that? Or who's this? And so it was very well done. I very much enjoyed it. And it's definitely on my pull list. And not just because you come on this show, but because it was really well done. And because of the twenties, I slip you uh, under the zoom table, right? <laughs> Listen, we don't have to talk about that part. <laughs> Those twenties pay for 10% of the available covers. But it's, it's fine. I was impressed with the amount of covers that, that they have produced. I was impressed I, with the amount of covers. Oh man. Oh. Did they just come in like one box and like, it's a stack this tall for you, Greg, or was it, you know, was it piecemealed out to you? Or did you have to go buy them all? Oh, we're going to get visuals here for those. Uh... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I got they sent me and I'm glad. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's quite the reverse. They sent me two copies each of. Uh, I think 78 different covers. And then I compared those to the. Um, cover. Uh, gallery in the back of the book and they didn't send me four which means there were at least 82 covers um, some of which which were not in the gallery at the back of the book and I could have sort of written and say hey I didn't get these four covers and but it just felt churlish at that point you know once you've gotten (laughs) 78 covers it's kind of like you didn't give me all 82, you know, it just feels like you're being a jerk. So so I've settled for 78 uh, uh, covers and, and I'm glad for it. Uh, But it, yeah, it, it, it just seems insane, but I guess that's the way of the world. You know I mean? It is uh, for comics these days is uh, all these alternative covers. But this seemed insane, even for that. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was it was like like they kept showing us more and more covers. I'm just like, 
it's not going to end. <laughs> We're just going to be buried. I'm going to go broke buying covers. <laughs> Listen, just because I had to, co- you know, you, you have to donate a kidney on the black market. It's fine. You got two. So <laughs> I've been holding that one as a spare just for this occasion. <laughs> <laughs> Comics ain't cheap these days, kids. Uh. No, they are not. Um, no, I, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm thrilled. Don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled, but I am sort of astonished simultaneously. You know, it just, uh, it's just, uh, you know, I've been in comics since 1983 and, uh, and I've never seen anything like this. I was going to say, um, so much credit to whoever had to navigate that, to have that many covers ready and available on time. The coordinating artists yeah. has got to be like the biggest nightmare on the planet. So. Yeah. I mean, I give uh, a lot of that is Nate Cosby. I mean, just uh, handling all that, it's, it's pretty, uh, it'd be overwhelming to me. It really would be. I just, Nate, I don't know Nate how he does it. Nate is a magical Leopleridon. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> well, it's just it's so cool to see that and the and the NECA figures as well um, as somebody that collects action figures too. Like it's really cool to see this renaissance of of the property and and um, you know people enjoying it with Disney Plus and having you know such easy access to it now, which is really cool. <laughs> I, to me, I I really you know I'm excited for. The longtime fans, but I'm also excited for the the, the kids that are going to get that are going to start watching it because it's on Disney Plus. Uh, as as a as a father with a seven year old, you know it's very easy to just you know plop open Disney Plus and have her watch something new every single day, and she doesn't have to worry about it. I'm like, you don't realize how good you have it, child. <laughs> we had to wait <laughs> till the afternoon. <laughs> yes, and if we had After to school. Out, we had to set our and if we had to go out, we had to set our VCRs and hope that nothing went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I hope your dad didn't uh, tape over it, you know, with the football game or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, before we, di- we discuss your first reaction to City of Stone, were there any episodes between Awakening and City of Stone that leapt out to you in this run up that you would like to comment on? Neil? I think all of them are good and you know they've been discussed in the the most extensive way here I think they all for me personally really lead up to this moment of City of Stone I think re-watching it and being able to watch it in sequential order you know kind of hearkening to the idea of you know throwing stuff on VHS tapes or missing an episode or something like that the focus on characters that aren't traditionally focused on in this storyline I think is what changed just the whole series being something more than I think you I mean almost never see something like this so I think for me it's everything leading up to it and then going that next level um with this storyline Zach, were there any that leapt out to you? Um, you know, I, I did watch like Inter Macbeth, um, and I, I, I just, I, I think I remarked on this last time, just just how beautiful the animation is and how everything is so well done. In Inter Macbeth, yeah, I, I, I just, I liked it all. Like, I, like, you know, I, I, like I say, I watched the first five again, and then I watched Inter Macbeth, and I watched a couple of different episodes, and I'm like, man, like. 
and, and this is just me commenting on the series as a whole, uh, not necessarily specifically that episode, but, but I just was like, man, they just don't do it like this anymore <laughs> in, in, uh, in animation. And so it was just, I, I just had a ball every time I, every time I visit the gargoyles universe, I just, I have a ball. I, I, I find myself really enjoying it. I think, I think for me, it's like this very specific nostalgia hit. Like having not watched the series, I, I would imagine as many times as most of the people on this call, that there's something about that time and space that it brings back. Most of the voice actors, you can connect to almost every part of my childhood. That style of animation is from a specific time that I think just, you know, jumping into someone less familiar, it just it hits that nostalgia in a very specific way for me. Excellent. Excellent. So what were your re initial reactions to this arc watching it or rather rewatching re it? I knew of the Shakespearean elements. Cause we obviously talked about that with spectacular Spider-Man, but watching it, I, I found, I was like, Oh, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you understand like, me I, a lot better now. <laughs> I understand. I understand Bashansky now more. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> so, so in watching City of Stone, I was just, it was so compelling. Uh, I just felt like that the whole story was just incredibly compelling, and, and of course, the voice cast is so, you know, so good. And, and so it was just like, oh man, like the plot, it. it it was one of those things where sometimes with, with certain series, you can feel an episode drag. I never felt that way with these four episodes. It was just like, it, it just never stopped. And it was just, you know, somebody called it, I think on our Facebook page, you know, literal perfection. And, and it's, it's very much up there with that. I think it's such a brilliant, um, it's a simple story, but it's, it is brilliant in its own way. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I again, just thought the plot was and the way that the the flashbacks you know going back and forth between present and past uh i thought was really um i i just i i felt like that i was watching a show with three-dimensional characters and having watched a lot of um more recent cartoons with my daughter i i just they don't make it like that anymore <laughs> unless it's a greg wiseman show so <laughs> Well, I think the biggest thing is like with this storyline, it's just really hitting home that one mustaches aren't going to be twirled uh, when, when villains are involved. And, you know, that which is fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm in for a good mustache twirl. But the, <laughs> the other thing is that everything mattered. Everything about everything that's happening matters. That may sound small, but it's not because in a lot of shows, again, it's totally fine. They're different shows require different structures, but uh, I can watch one episode. I can watch a hundred episodes. It, sometimes it just kind of doesn't matter. The other 99 are here, there, everywhere. Uh, but the idea of just watching one episode of Gargoyles, well, that seems really, it just seems really weird just because so everything matters. And the idea of watching them all together and seeing how much they matter. Um, and the other thing is just humanizing characters that often didn't get humanized. Like the idea that I'm going to watch this air quote villain. And that's the thing is now I have to put air quotes because are they villains? Are they just misunderstood? 
I don't know. There's a lot going on, and a thousand years can really change a person. It would seem, um, but so I think that that's my biggest takeaway is that it really changes your perspective once you get to this storyline and get to the other side of it. I grew up in the era of Power Rangers where it was Freak of the Week and it was very formulaic. So, uh, and I remember watching that and being obsessed with it. So, watching this show and and I watched again. It was always the the time of which it was on for me was always bad because it was right before I got home from school is it was, it was going off air. So I would have to see like reruns or, you know, catch it if I was, you know, off of school early. So, but, you know, watching this, I'm like, man, man, the layers. And especially after, you know, recently watching the first, the rewatching the pilot and, and seeing the foreshadowing that was done, even at that far back to, to, to see a stone i'm like okay the, the fact that we're getting the payoffs uh, of those little things is really really impressive and um i just from a storytelling standpoint the way um that the stakes felt earned the everything felt organic and authentic to the universe and it didn't um it didn't play it didn't play down to to the audience. It played up to the audience, which is something that not, not everybody can handle and do uh, you know, creatively. And sometimes some cartoons they just they're not they're not designed that way, right? So for for that to you know be as highbrow as it is, I'm I'm always you know I, it just was really well done. I feel like I'm talking in circles. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's all right. I mean, to this day, still, I mean, I'm impressed when I watch it and that there are these, and I've mentioned this in our regular coverage, despite the fact they were done in some fanciful manners, there are on-screen murders throughout City of Stone, and you still almost never see that in anything. That probably took me further back because we talked about, like, stuff with, with standards and practices, you know, being fans of, like, the 90s spider-man cartoon and stuff like that and the whole you know spider-man can't land on pigeons and stuff uh (laughs) allegedly um so like seeing like people like die and and even like you know watching um uh you know seeing elements where you actually see blood with you know somebody getting shot you know like that's just something you don't see in a cartoon especially at this time and even now like unless it's adult swim which that's a whole different back of back whole of nuts, so. different thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a whole, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's uses a similar style like animation, but it's not even, not even the same universe. So um, I, yeah, I, I just was like, man, there's little murders. People are turning to stone and being smashed to smithereens. That's dark, <laughs> but not too, but it's, it's dark, but it's not too dark. You know, so, sometimes, coming from especially the world of comics they would revel in that darkness and it's just not reveled that way it just it it shows the stakes that were that were put in place with the story and it's like okay it's not gratuitous and i really appreciated that 
I mean, part of it is you can also see how she got there in deciding to do that to those statues. It's oh, 100%. There's a yeah, direct Demona. line. It's a terrifying line. Don't get me wrong, but it is a yeah. very direct line between the choices that someone else made and c- choosing to make those choices herself um, in those moments. And also, I just I, I wonder about the, the terrified people that woke up on that street. <laughs> the therapy bills that they have racked up. <laughs> well, it was only her arms that got blown off. <laughs> On that one, the yeah, they ones... they call her Stumpy now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Greg, are you we going to her in the comments? You people are so much. You people are so much darker than I am. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean. Uh, he's not wrong (laughs) that's the problem Uh, now now watching this like like do you feel like because i again this is the mid 90s that this was animated and there's no cell phones and there's you know like technology has taken a a big step do you feel like you miss that when what going back and watching these episodes do you feel like it's something that uh that makes it stand out or is it just a non-issue and especially in City of Stone, it was not an issue for me. Um, I think I might have pointed out the computers early in like the in the pilot, but um, especially in City of Stone, I, I I never felt oh this is of the '90s. I felt yeah, it's in the '90s, but it's it, it just felt timeless, and it felt like that that you could you could broadcast this on, on a even though we don't have it anymore a Saturday morning block, you could rerun these episodes and very little would be said of where's the cell phones. You know what I mean? Um, I, I never felt that technology, like you, like you're asking was, was missing. Like, I think it, it helps that one doesn't expect to see a gargoyle with a cell phone. So when the gargoyles are the ones on, on stage, so to speak, um, you don't, sit there and go, well, why isn't he just pulling out his cell phone? You don't expect to see him, this medieval creature holding one. Um, it, from a dated standpoint, um, which I'm largely over, I mean, I, I'm over it. It's like, it's a period piece. It's set in the nineties. I'm fine with that. But, um, <laughs> but from the standpoint of a new audience looking at it and going, well, and needing to know when it was set, I think the larger largest answer is is generally they don't. And every once in a while you'll see something like, again, not in City of Stone, but there there are episodes where Santos does pull out cell phone the size of a brick. Um and, phone. Yeah. you know, and uh and you go, what the you know, is that? But <laughs> um, but more often it's just they don't have them, they just don't have them, they don't use them, and you don't miss it unless there's this moment. I, which I suppose might happen every once in a while where you're like, why isn't Elisa just pulling out her cell phone? You know? Um, but if she's calling the gargoyles, you wouldn't expect that. It's only like if she's trying to reach Matt or trying to reach her parents or something like that, that yeah. you sit there and go, why isn't she just doing X? Um, but I don't even think that happens all that often. At least um, that's what I keep telling myself to justify um, uh my choices but um, but i think that uh you're better than us you know, my, Greg. okay you're better my than 30 us. my 30 year old choices that 
you know, didn't really <laughs> exist back in the day. Like back in 1994, why didn't I have Elisa just pull out her cell phone? Oh, that's why it didn't exist. Um, but it's been fun actually in the comics to lean into the nineties. And I'm trying to, to do that, you know, um, Lisa has a sweet pager now. So <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. She's really stepping it up in the tech department. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, I also remembered um, that we gave uh, her and Lexington, those little communicators back in uh, uh, one of those cold stone episodes. I forget which one, to be honest. Um, and so I'm like, all right, well, that technology, at least in the Gargoyles universe existed. It was probably kind of pricey, but it existed. And, you know, Xanatos being the magnanimous guy that he is probably is happy to, to uh, pass those out. You know, the fact that he's also monitoring all those calls is, <laughs> is something that he may not mention. But, you know, I, I feel like, okay, so if I need, if I really feel the need to have more advanced communication, then I'm actually not taking it from the 90s to the 2020s. I'm taking from the 90s to something that's almost a little sci-fi even now, that idea of those invisible little things you put in your ear that, uh, you know, you tap once, which we do in Young Justice all the time. Um, you tap once and then suddenly it's acting as a microphone and a speaker in your ear, uh, even though it's completely invisible to the naked eye, you know, um, I'm trying like, to okay, my yeah, those, that's... those hearing aids for a long time. But I, just won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I went to uh, a play uh, a few weeks ago with my parents and, and my mom was really happy with her hearing aids. She's like, yeah, I could hear everything. And my dad was like, I couldn't hear anything. My hearing aids aren't worth a damn. Now, my son and I exchanged glances at that point because I think the main reason my dad didn't hear anything in that show was because he was kind of sleeping through the whole thing. Uh, uh, so what I've learned is that hearing aids don't work as well if you're not conscious in the first place. But um, it's a good note for later because God knows I'm gunning it. But uh, so it's good to keep in mind for down the road that if you're actually not unconscious, they don't work as well as you'd think. I'm going to definitely have to pass that along to my father. Cause he, he's one of those that, that can fall asleep anywhere. And uh, he'll be, we'll be sitting there watching TV and he'll, he, he has this old and busted easy chair that he refuses to get rid of only because it is old and busted to him and his body. So therefore it is comfy to him, even though he's got brand new furniture that I'm like, this is better. It's like, no, uh, but you know, he leans back and I'm like, Oh, that's all she wrote. She's he's out. Your dad <laughs> so, is Frazier's dad. Yeah. They're just yes. thinking Martin crane. Yeah. <laughs> he very much is. As soon as he sits in that chair, I'm like, he's out. All right. <laughs> when he starts snoring too loud, I have to wake him up. It's so. All right. We, we touched on this a little bit, but uh city of stone really fleshed out two of the villains in a way that, up until then, in a lot of ways, even still until today, villains in animated series and a lot of comics don't get fleshed out. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, Magneto back in the 70s and 80s and Doom before that, Stanley and Jack Kirby were ahead of their time, as well as Chris Claremont. But television wise, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think characters like, um, I'm going to drop some names here, 
Cobra Commander Megatron Avenger didn't get that. No. Man, don't trash on Venger. <laughs> I, I love Venger. I just bought that that uh, anniversary action figure Venger. He's awesome. So, but he just but he didn't get it. He didn't get fleshed out like that. No, he didn't. He would have, but then they canceled that uh, Michael Reeves final episode script. So, <laughs> no, it was really, you know, I knew, I knew enough coming in that Demona was going to be a very layered villain. We had had enough discussions with spectacular radio that I was like, all right, there's, there's going to be some complexities to the character. Uh, Macbeth was a bit of a surprise for me because I forgot that Macbeth was even a thing uh, as a villain. And so when I watched inner Macbeth and then watched city of stone, I was like, okay, all right, now I'm, now I'm up to speed. I love the fleshing out and, and the village and origin stories um, of in these, in, this, in these sets of episodes. Cause like, and this is what I love about everything that I've watched in regards to, to what, Mr. Wiseman has done. And that's not just because he's, you know, sitting over there digitally, but because of that. <laughs> but the I love complex villains because it was one of my it's been one of my criticisms of like the early MCU is that they were kind of one note and then as as they've gone on, they've become more and more layered. That's why I'm really excited for Kang uh next week in the new Ant-Man movie. And so like, I, I, I dig it, you know, give, give me some, I, I was just eating a hamburger before we started, you know, doing the show and, and give me a good, you know, good amount of meat to, to sink my teeth into when it comes to character. And, and both Demona and Macbeth were like, I'm like, Oh, now I understand. And, and Macbeth's not a bad guy. Cause he just hates humanity. Like, Demona does. He's a bad guy because he hates Demona. <laughs> Justifiably so. So, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, man, this was it was so good. And I was like, man, now it's made me have to go, okay, I have to, I have to completely binge and watch both of these seasons now because it just, yeah, I I I need to become more of an expert because it's that good. Awesome. And Neil, what do you think? Especially in regards to, I was going to bring this up in a bit, but um, we've seen something similar, relatively similar to this in Young Justice with the fleshing out of Vandal Savage across uh, Evolution in Season 3 and then in Season 4 with the uh, Zatanna arc, which really dealt with um, Vandal's background more. So what are your thoughts on how they flesh out villains here versus then and any other... animated series in between and greg you can uh answer after he does of course i think the biggest thing is is it's not a throwaway line it's not a moment it's not a couple minutes it's a whole arc devoted to really fleshing this out to make sure that you as the audience member really understands the motives and intentions behind these characters not only what they have done but then what they will continue to do um and you know going back and forth between the two times but also seeing and like i feel like in this i help it helped me really grasp the idea that these two have been at this for a very long time so it justifies 
almost everything that they do from that point because it's a special kind of hate when it lasts for a thousand years um or just even even just any relationship and in, in having to navigate that um especially how connected they are i think that yeah for me it's not it's that so much time and effort was invested that it makes it makes you in this really interesting way root for them too to say not even necessarily that you want them to be good, but that you want them to continue to have a story because, you know, a lot of villains that are just, you know, one note, then that's kind of all you want to listen to. It's just that one note and have them go away. But with these, you're just like, okay, I'm in, I'm in now. I see why they're here and I see what they're doing and I see who they are. So I'm ready for more. Um, And then, yeah, like I said, it just, there's so much there. I agree. And this is one of those reasons why this entire arc it's one of the reasons why I was so glad that Young Justice came back for that third season because I thought the villains were very intriguing in the first two seasons, but I felt it was missing their City of Stone. And then, boom, seven episodes in, we get Evolution. And then in season four, we get more of those flashbacks expanded upon that really flesh out Vandal Savage and um, turn him into one of my all-time favorites at this point as well. And um, what do you think of um, how of this year compared with how that was done. Well, I, yeah. And I think it's those longer plans too, because once you start to play around with basically li- out, you have to think in a different way because you're outliving the lifespan that, you know, any of us will have. And so the way that those motives work are really interesting because it, some stuff just doesn't matter because ah, I got, a, I got another hundred years I could tack onto this, this problem or this plan. And so I think that they, they, they certainly echo each other. And it's also interesting to see that expansion in young justice to thousands and thousands of years. Um, and like the best laid plans just going on and on and on. Um, but the same, same thing is a lot of stuff can be, figured out or justified with enough time that just your approach to everyday scenarios becomes very different when that approach again is spanned over hundreds of years rather than a year or a couple months or something like that so i think they i can definitely see the echoes and parallels uh between the two but i'm trying to think i'm trying to think of no i'm no i'm not going to compare the two i think they're both great that's my solution that's a safe. That's a safe answer. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> no, no argument. <laughs> no argument from me. I, I, I love them both. They were both fantastic and really epically done. I mean, uh, but it, it, no, it's just terrific. I love taking these villains and really making them human, despite the fact that none of us can relate to being a thousand years old, or in Vandal's case, fifty thousand years old. I mean, although what kind of what I really like about Demona in comparison to vandal being immortal did not make her any more far-sighted if anything quite the opposite <laughs> she's very impulsive she doesn't think as far ahead as one would think and um vandal's a little bit more mature than she is <laughs> and she's let she lets emotions reign she's you know it, everything is so close to the surface that like it just bubbles out and on that note, this is for Greg. If someone was disappointed that we didn't ask, even though I already know the answer to this, Vandal Savage's scars, were they inspired by the Hunters? <laughs> they aren't. And the, the reason I know this is because um, 
they were something that our uh, season one through three character designer, um, Phil Barassa, added to uh, Vandal's model. You know, we had never seen those slashes before. And um, unless, I mean, you'd have to ask Phil this, unless he was inspired by gargoyles, which I honestly think is unlikely. Um, you know, uh, we walked in the door, he showed us the Vandal Savage thing and either Brandon and I said, what's with the scars? And he's like, cave bear. That was what Phil said, cave bear. And so I was then <laughs> like, I want to see this scene with the cave bear. I want to show this. And <laughs> so, you know, it took us a decade or whatever, eight, nine years to show that cave bear fight just before and it was phil's idea it's like it's something to show everything's after the meteor heals but everything before the meteor doesn't and so uh this is really off topic from city of stone but uh since we're talking about young justice um you know so that was all really phil barasa so i don't think it was inspired at all by gargoyles i think that that was uh phil's idea of the cave bear um and uh and when people give you know me credit for it, like oh, it's a gargoyle Easter egg, I'm like, no, 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 it's Phil Barassa Cave Bear, um, and it just took us till season three to finally get around to showing that cave bear. But I was very excited when we did because I was like, I want to see that fight. Yeah. Either way, it's very effective imagery. Those scars and Vandal look very menacing, and the mask of the hunter is extremely menacing looking. I mean, and we've seen pull over face masks in this genre many times many times but there's just something really creepy about the simplicity of that design yeah i mean i i do think it's a it's a very cool i mean the, the hunter motif which again not connected to vandal savage but the hunter motif i think is really cool and i think we were able we've been able to do great variations on it um both in city of stone and hunter's moon and then later in the slg comics i just think that um it's it it's become oh and and in the journey with the quarryman it, it it's become this sort of iconic thing in the gargoyles universe and um and so it's always a little fun to do okay now how can we twist it just a little bit more and uh that's fun all right. And um, circling back around, I mean, to Neil and then to Zach, I mean, Zach mentioned the Shakespearean elements that he noticed, but what's also interesting, what, what which I always thought was, this is actual real Scottish history we're seeing here. This isn't the Shakespearean Macbeth. This is the historical Macbeth with some Shakespearean and Gargoyles elements mixed in. Um, Neil, what did you, what were your thoughts on mixing all of this real history into a series like this. I it's always a good choice because oftentimes real history seems when you put it into a media, it it just seems weird. Real history is oftentimes unexplainable. Um, so taking certain elements from it is always in my personal opinion, is always a good idea. But then adapting it to be what you need it to be, because it does need to fit into, you know, either a time slot or the certain structure for the story that you're trying to write. Because yeah, like I said, oftentimes just raw history doesn't make any sense. 
but that's usually because you have people involved and we don't make sense. Um, but I, so I think touch, touching on those individual pieces and bringing them in, I think it was really well done. And then seamlessly just, it's interesting to watch it and just be like, yeah, we, we all kind of know that gargoyles are a thing and we're all kind of scared of them, but some of us trust them kind of, but others of us don't. Um, so just making that just a, a natural element into that, story and that history for this world is also a really interesting piece as a history buff um i loved it i was like oh oh this is good this is because like obviously i'm familiar with Macbeth. i've i, I mean I, I went to high school in america so therefore you're gonna probably do Macbeth in high school so but you know as a as somebody like my bucket list is to go to Scotland and Ireland. Like I've been to England, but I haven't been to Scotland and Ireland. And so um I was like, oh, this isn't because I in my brain I just expected the Shakespearean elements and it just being the Shakespeare, but it being real history, I was like, oh, this is this is this is further along in the onion. And oh, okay, I, I'm in. I, I dig it. You know, um, so I, I really, really enjoyed how subtle the things were, like the incorporation of the of the witches, you know, and how that seamlessly played out, as well as the historical elements. And and you know, um, as somebody whose family history has been traced back to European monarchy and stuff, uh, I I find that really fascinating. And so it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that. That part, you know, I, I vaguely remember, you know, the, the lines of succession and stuff like that and how that worked. And so as a kid, I wouldn't have caught on, but as an adult, I really appreciate it. And granted, the play is really famous as is, but the this show is also the story of the historical Macbeth. That would make a great movie or a miniseries, and no one except for Gargoyles has ever really tapped into that, and I find that perplexing unfortunate uh, I 100% agree can you imagine them doing a netflix series live action in a, in a not in the style of game of thrones but in set in that period and and throw the big money budget to it and and you know do two three season series on netflix and and ha- go ham it would be a, a game of thrones level to me it should be a game of thrones level phenomenon but um just hasn't been done yet and and there's so much we have a lot of history in the united states but it's nowhere near the history that you see in in europe um in in, in england and scotland i i remember when i was in freshman high school we went over to london and i remember just looking at the, all these buildings and it's you know built in the 1400s and you're like as americans we can't fathom that because we weren't over here right it reminds me of an uh, Eddie Izzy Ezard bit where they say they're like, you know, I'm from uh, Europe where the history comes from. <laughs> you know, it's like we're yeah, yeah. we're so used to, you know, we're so new. We're so shiny new still. Exactly. And then and then you sit there and you look at this building and, and you know, you got this little little shop on the on the first floor and then uh, right above it, it says to let. You know, for for rent, and it's like, oh, 
And then there's some vandals that, you know, put a little eye in the middle. So it says toilet, you know, like, wow. So how sophomore is the humor there? Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it was like, but it's like this. We it's so hard for me to wrap my head around that when you're not from over there and that you're right. Jen, like it's where the history is from. <laughs> so again, I, that's why I want to go to Scotland and, and, um, and Ireland so bad. My parents went to Ireland, which was, you know, that and, and getting to do my, you know, try to do my fake accents would be a lot of fun. It's uh, I recommend both highly. Yeah. My, my, uh, my parents had a really good time in Ireland and I was insanely jealous. <laughs> Oh, all right, and uh, I suppose we can, Neil. We're going to circle back to you. The themes that play into this. I mean, you have vengeance being a cycle, a vicious cycle that never ends. It's old, but I still think it's just as compelling here as it is anywhere. What were your thoughts on how this old theme, to the point of a cliche, was handled? Really well. I mean, it's you. You entrusted, and I think that's like one of the the things about the gargoyles is that trust is not a small thing because um, it, it's something fundamentally different from when you or I go to sleep. Um, you know, the likelihood that I would wake up if something bad was going to happen, relatively low for me personally, but for 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 humans as a whole, it, it's not so bad. But the idea that anyone you were to trust as a gargoyle when it is nighttime or not nighttime when it is daytime like the that level of trust is so high because you are completely helpless in those moments so i think you know that that betrayal of that trust just hits so hard because you you did you really trusted someone with everything that you are because you can't do anything during those hours um so it does play really well when that trust is broken and how deeply those wounds would cut for unfortunately those that are still left and some that are not like when you pick a whole face up off the ground and you kind of think about the repercussions of that when nighttime rolls around but apparently we're the dark ones but but so so yes i think like i said i think it went really really well um but yeah there's just so much trust and like i said i really enjoyed it i think something to remember why i feel this is so groundbreaking I look at what was going on in animation at the time, and I actually made a little bit of a list here. Batman the Animated Series had ended about a year before this and would be back on Kids WB two years later because it came back as new Batman Adventures. X-Men was beginning to enter its latter seasons. Spider-Man the Animated Series had just began its second season, and Zach, you'll get this. This four-parter aired between the second Insidious Six episodes. Because Sinister is too nasty a word. We can't put the word Sinister on TV. Meanwhile, here they're smashing and killing people on screen. But just before the Hydro Man episode aired <laughs> for the first time. And uh Yeah, Sinister is too is too too naughty of a word, but we're gonna do insidious. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Warner Brothers. Right, yeah. Well, you know what? Someone needs to take the thesaurus away from that person, whoever decided that. Well, <laughs> to me, it, Insidious does not roll off the tongue nearly as well as Sinister. Sinister Six, come on. <laughs> there's, there, there, Stan had to do something to, you know, help keep it all straight in his head. So he had he always used alliteration. I mean, Reed Richards, Peter Parker, except it was Peter Palmer that one time. Uh, <laughs> but. Nice. Yeah, yeah, but no, yeah, yeah, no, that 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 definitely dates takes me back to when those episodes were coming out. So 
I, yeah, like, I, I like that as a frame of reference. Yeah. Warner Brothers is about a year away from launching Superman the Animated Series. Marvel's Fantastic Four and Iron Man cartoons were in their second seasons. Kids WB was just beginning to launch with Freakazoid. They had new episodes of Animaniacs. They were spinning off Pinky and the Brain from that. Nickelodeon was a powerhouse at the time, and Cartoon Network was beginning to rise. This is a pretty crucial era in the history of Western animation. I honestly feel like this entire era was a game changer as a whole. I mean, um, as TV watchers, and anyone can jump in here, Jen, if you remember also, what were your thoughts on uh, all this that was happening at the time? I've I've always been an animation junkie. Always. So... I mean, uh, and uh, just FYI, Freakazoid is top notch and will always be. <laughs> Runs around in underwear, Freakazoid, Freakazoid. <laughs> listen, uh, we, 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 listen. Uh, as somebody that covered the 90s clone saga, whenever they got to the virtual reality stories, we made a lot of Freakazoid checks. Okay. Like. <laughs> It just, it was too perfect. <laughs> so, and I might have, you know, used the instrumental music for an outro or, or two. I mean, I mean I the know... thing for me is that in the late 80s and early 90s, I was watching everything that was on because I was uh, an executive. And so I needed to know what the competition was doing at all times. Then I transitioned over to working on Gargoyles. I watched nearly nothing. I didn't have a, I didn't have time and B I found that it, it just, um, it, I didn't need to as part of my job anymore. My job was to make a show. It wasn't to gauge the competition and it wasn't to, you know, um, do all the things that I'd been doing before. And so it just became, how do I put this? Uh, you know, I, I would watch a show and I'd be like going, like, do I need to be jealous of this show? Do I need to, you know, in other words, it, it was like, it was weird considerations. And so I, I largely stopped watching. So, and I know I miss great stuff. Like I never, I've never seen Freakazoid. I mean, I've seen clips here and there, but I've never seen an entire episode of Freakazoid. Um, I have watched almost none of that era's Spider-Man show. I mean, I've seen a couple episodes here and there, but I've, I've largely not seen any of it um i saw maybe one or two episodes of x-men now batman the animated series again that the original run of it ended just you know just as we were making gargoyles and i watched all of those and of course it's you know it's fantastic and seminal and all that stuff but the stuff that came after Again, I just I never got around to watching it. Like New Batman Adventures, uh, I saw the pilot of uh, Superman the Animated Series, but I saw very few episodes after that. And again, it's just because my job had shifted. So as whereas before, I was recording all this stuff on VHS tapes, um, and then you know I could take those VHS tapes to work and watch it and legitimately say, this is part of my job. I watch cartoons as part of my job. <laughs> um, but, you know, at that point I'm making the show, I don't have time to watch that. And then when I get home, that's not how I wanted to spend my time it is feeling competitive with everything else that was out there. So I know I missed a lot of, uh, 
stuff, but that was sort of my transition era from being someone who knew everything that was on television uh, in the kids sector, in the animated sector, to being someone who knew almost nothing about that topic because I was too busy making something at that point to to uh, do it. And it wasn't just the busyness, although that was a huge part of it, but it was also, I was watching things differently and it, it was, it was like upsetting, you know, it was like emotionally fraught to watch somebody else's show. And, and um, if I didn't like it, I'd be like, how's it getting that kind of ratings? You know, if, uh, when I don't think it's very good. And if I did like it, it'd be like, how'd they get that you know, uh, level of animation, you know, on that budget, you know, that kind of thing. It just became about the wrong. It, it didn't become about storytelling or what was in, it, it became about the wrong things. And so I, you know, I, I very rapidly weaned off it. And, uh, and so it's weird because, you know, the era right before that was the pre VCR era when, you know, when I was going to college and, or when I was working at DC comics, I also wasn't watching stuff because I didn't own a, a VCR and I was never home at the right time, you know, to watch this stuff. Um, and so I just, you know, so there, I have huge gaps, you know, when I was a kid, I watched all this stuff and then, you know, I just blackout sections. Time. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I have these huge it was blanks. all or nothing. Right. It really was kind of like that. It wasn't like a plan, but that's how it worked out. It was, it worked out as being sort of, you know, as a kid, all because I loved it all. And then I grew up and I just wasn't around to watch it. And we didn't have any way back then to to see something you missed. Um, and then then came the VCR era and my job, and I was watching everything, and then I just very quickly sort of weaned off it and stopped. It's weird. I there was not I mean, an, it doesn't an mean animated anything, show weird. that I was not watching. I can guarantee you I was watching everything I could get my hands on at the time. But Gargoyles made me stop in my tracks. It just had something that that so many other shows that were entertaining, mm -hmm. but uh, it just was was leagues above it. And uh, it, it uh, obviously um, grabbed a hold of me and it's stuck with me for a long time now. So. You know, I can and, I can tell Greg that you you hadn't watched um, all of the X Men series because you were like, oh, how did they get that level of animation on that budget? <laughs> That's not what you would have said had you watched it, <laughs> especially season five. It's, it's a beloved show, and I really enjoy it, but the, you would never have said that. Oh, uh, same same thing with the '90s show Spider Man. You've been like, why are they reusing all this animation all the time? But don't tell that to. Never mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop what I was about to say. <laughs> Probably for the best, but um, but everyone, they always talk about these shows that are these game changers, and obviously Batman the animated series is one. I I still believe Gargoyles is one and needs to be spoken of in that breath. And then people later bring up Avatar: The Last Airbender, but at the same time, having this conversation, I realize it's really just one long. One long ev evolution. Yes, yeah, sometimes there's one step forward and then there's two steps back. I mean, I remember there was a period where bringing over cheap anime and just dubbing it was more cost effective than making a new show from scratch. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of great anime out there, but I feel like 
we should be inspired Pokemon? by that stuff. To, yeah, yeah, we should Ailer be inspired Moon. by that stuff and <laughs> and stepping up our game and as well as looking what the at what the other people are doing. And I would hope that in Japan they were looking at some of the great stuff that we were doing. You know, I think um, it is interesting to hear you know Greg talk about how you know when he's it's like he goes into a, has to go into a bunker to do these shows, and, and I, I I think people assume that they have time to do those things but you know the amount of work that it takes to produce these type of shows that's something that over the time that we've since since, you know 2014 when we first started spec radio that i've i've learned i'm like yeah they so you know I'll, i'll see and read interviews with other creative types and they're like oh yeah have you seen this and have you seen that i'm like now in my brain, I'm like, do they have time? <laughs> like, you know, it, it's, it's a year round process. And um, especially dealing with all the logistics that, that they've, you know, that this show and like young justice were dealing with a lot too. So um, it, it, a lot depends on the order number of episodes. Seriously. I mean, yeah, because for example, uh, when you get to the end of the show and all you're doing is post, you have long days, but then when the day is over, it's, it's over. Um, now I know Jennifer remembers on spectacular Spider-Man. We had some long nights too, because we were behind schedule, <laughs> you know, so we had to catch up. I love being the in the real... editing booth at 3am. <laughs> right. Yeah. So much fun. Is the Thai food really cold or just, uh, um, anyway, uh, but, <laughs> But the the real hell is when you're, you know, when you've got these long orders, like Young Justice had 26 or God help us on season two of Gargoyles when we had 52 and you're doing pre-production work, you know, writing scripts and stuff while simultaneously the, um, the storyboard and design work is going on. But now episodes are starting to come back from overseas and you've got to post them. And when you're doing all three stages of production simultaneously, the early episodes you're in post, the middle episodes you're in pre-production, the later episodes you're still writing the damn things. Um, That is just brutal. Um, and, And the the hours a week you're working, you know, run up to 80, 90 hours a week. And it's frankly, just tremendously exhausting. At one point, Greg had, uh, was posting how many hours of sleep he got on his door in his office. (laughs) Why why did you stop taking it? Because it was depressing you, wasn't it? Yeah, I I stopped. (laughs) At first, it was funny. It's like, oh, I got two hours last night. Hey, I got four hours the night before that. That was a good night. And then at some point, you start to look at it, and you're like going, oh, this isn't anything to be cheerful about. This is, this is not healthy. Down. This is so not this healthy. Not, I, I remember this. I, I remember this. I would come down to the studio while you guys were making Spectacular at the time to have lunch with you both, and then Greg would nod off while we were eating. <laughs> and, uh, you remember that, right? (laughs) I, uh, you know, this is what I mean when you're, when you're in the middle of it again, at either end, it isn't too bad. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not too bad. 
just doing the writing, just doing post. Uh, that's not so bad, but, but, and these days, most orders are much shorter. It's more like eight episodes or 10 episodes at most. It's like 13, generally speaking. Um, but yeah, try doing 52 in 10 months. That is devastatingly hard. (laughs) Um, And it takes a, a physical toll on you. And by the time, um, you're done, you just want to sleep for three months, but you also don't want to stop earning money during those three months. So. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm really exhausted. I'm totally burned out. What's my next job? I need it. You know? Um, yeah. And, and There's that a mortgage for is, somebody. yeah, you know, that you just are, are pretty fried. And, 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 you know, uh, I'm not sure if Frank and I have talked about it on this podcast yet. I know we will when we get toward the back end of it more. But Frank and I, who are very good friends, but by the end of season two of Gargoyles, we we're practically at each other's throats. And um, and we've all made up. Everything's fine. We're all good. But it wasn't because suddenly our goals had changed for the show or anything like that. It's just by the time you got there, um, we were so afraid, you know, um, just every shred was so thin that someone says something i remember um you know uh, this isn't city of stone it was avalon but uh you know he came charging into my office and he was furious about uh about one of the episodes of avalon and and uh and he's yelling at the top of his lungs so that of course makes me start yelling at the top of my lungs and and frank and i are both when we need to be incredibly loud people so everyone on the floor could hear us i'm sure and you know he's like going this script is impossible you know we can you know it's not working and all this stuff and and uh you don't even have a fight on the beach at the beginning of the episode and then i'm like well we can put a fight on the beach (laughs) dennis woodyard was there too and dennis uh was trying to sort of peacemaker us but what it came down to is just Frank wanted a fight on the beach. And I'm like, well, why don't you just come in and say, hey, can we put a fight on the beach? But instead, you know, he came in. Guns blazing. Guns blazing. Yeah. And that was my reaction, too. So we're both shouting at each other. And then it was just like, oh, no, we just want to make it better. And wouldn't it be better if there was a fight on the beach before the, the rest of the episode gets going? And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, we can do that. And then we just turned around and went back to work. and. For us, there was no resentment. You know, there was no lasting problem. But meanwhile, I mean, uh, you know, Denise and Monique and other people who were working on the floor, just like, oh, my God, daddies are fighting, you know. <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> I think they're going to go punch each other on the beach. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> we'll have to ask. Dennis Does anybody have Dennis on the show? There was a a time on Spectacular Spider-Man that Greg was bringing up the volume and I was like pretty new on the, on the show at the time, but he was bringing up the volume in his office and I got up and I walked in and around and I told him, knock it off or some of us are trying to work here, you know, cause I'm an asshole. And, and I, (laughs) you know, and, and and Greg goes, oh, sorry. And stops. And I went back to my desk and everybody was looked at me like I had like, 
tamed a beast or something. And I'm like, oh, you guys don't know Greg. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> just gotta he's look not at the mad. Door. He's just loud. <laughs> you have to see how many hours of sleep he's had and you judge whether or not it's a two hour problem. <laughs> look at the amount of tally marks. <laughs> you, you, you judge things as they go. <laughs> I don't even remember. How do we get on this topic? What is, is this relevant to anything? <laughs> no, but it's a happy accident. But it's gold. it's gold. It's gold, Greg. It's podcast gold. God damn it. That's some good stuff. Oh, man. All right. All right. I thought we can begin winding down and we'll throw some softball questions here on out. So oh, we- these have been these have been killer up to this point. <laughs> <laughs> I am in so much pain right now, you guys. So let's wrap it up. My right, canal right. is throbbing. Let's go. <laughs> Listeners, do you hear what this woman does for you? <laughs> Show her some appreciation. <laughs> All right. So um softball questions. I mean, here we go. So Neil and Zach, Neil, you can go first. Re- doing this rewatch, do you have any favorite characters now that Maybe you didn't notice back then or being reinforced that you did notice back then. Oh, yeah. I'm all in on Macbeth. I don't think I would have. And it's something I had thought about mentioning earlier that this show is done well enough that it it can harken back to like a good book that you read. There's something to be said about rereading that book and it finding you at a different place in your life. Um, I know it's a thing that I've heard come up in a lot of podcasts that, you know, you read this self-help book or you read this business book or anything like that. And five years ago, you pulled x out of it now you reread it and now you find why um so i think i don't think as a kid i i don't Macbeth was there um but he wasn't a hulking gargoyle so i don't know that my kid brain focuses much but um at this point like that's probably my go-to character and especially (laughs) that's that's dumb, but I'm gonna say it. Setting it in stone um, after the this set of episodes, um, because it it flushes out that character in a way that you know, as we've previously mentioned through this episode, like that's not what happens. That's not what normally happens. Um, so yeah, for me, it definitely after this it became Macbeth. It's the beard, isn't it? It well, it it it's like my own when I in several, several seconds I watched it go from color to not color anymore. So that, that I really connected on that level in that that moment when his youth was drained. I just assumed that they made several children for him to have, and that's how his youth was drained. <laughs> you can't tell it with mine, but if I grew mine out, it'd be the same way. That'd have like this tuft of you know gray and i'd be like that's my two ex-wives so um no my uh, reinforced uh my love of of goliath and just the way he how stoic he is and and it really the inflappability of him you know he sees the all these people being (laughs) finds out all these people being turned to stone and it does not it does not phase him. He just does what he, he does. He does the right thing no matter what. And I, I really, really enjoyed that. I was like, man, this is there's a reason that he's as beloved as he is. And I, I felt like it was reinforced in these episodes. Um, <laughs> I liked how magnificent of, you know, um, Xanatos was, you know, even in the small little doses, he's a bit of a magnificent bastard. And I'm like, I love it. You know, 
Because like in my brain, I'm thinking a little Norman, you know, um, from oh, he's, got, he's, much, he's much more put together than Norman was. Norman. Oh, no, no. He's not so as unhinged free. as Nor- uh, listen. He's not as unhinged as Storm and Norman is. OK, Let, let's be real. Norman has some issues, but like the I always like how just, you know. Oh, I got turned to stone. I'm not faced. <laughs> Other than, you know, I almost crashed my helicopter. <laughs> or he did crash his helicopter. Um, so, yeah, I, like I say, I really enjoyed that. So, next question, Greg. Actually, expand on that. I, one of the things I really like, and granted, this isn't really City of Stone, but watching Xanatos fall, if you watch these episodes, fall in love, get engaged, and then get married, that's pretty unheard of, even still, with most major big bads and animated series. Yeah, yeah. It had nothing to do with the helicopter. At that point, he said, oh, good, you're not even chipped. The helicopter could have blown up. Who cares? I'd just buy another one. <laughs> like, at, the, at that point, you know, that that concern is definitely shifted. So many things blow up, and he's just so unconcerned. I'm just made of money. Um, I also want to – I've always wanted to know the general price tag of, like, how did you move that castle, and who did you pay, and how did that happen? That That – the fact that he moved the castle, even as a kid, I was like, "This he's he's rich beyond my wildest imaginations." <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think all of us are, you know, thinking the same thing. So Jennifer's got that kind of money. Oh yeah, just <laughs> falling out my butt. <laughs> <laughs> Really? <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> Poor Jennifer, she's laughing and we're we're making her laugh, but she's holding her face. It's just for the audio listeners. Yeah. <laughs> All right, such pain Jennifer, right gonna, now. Okay, we're gonna begin wrapping. I'm gonna up go put you. ice on my face. <laughs> okay, I I was going to ask if you two had any projects you wanted to plug, but you sort of did at the beginning. and um, We did. But is there, is there anything you didn't plug at the beginning that you would like to plug? Uh, just go over to spidey-dude.com. Um, that has all of our shows, including this one. Our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Spidey Network, helps support this show as well as all the other shows on Spidey Network. Uh, so thankful for all of our patrons. Um, and yeah, so... Um, just go check us out there. Also, youtube.com slash Spider Radio Network as well. So, and the only thing else you want to plug anything, any way people can support your stuff? Yeah. I mean, I am dead set that there's a cross section of this audience that will appreciate the other podcasts that I do. Um, it's a TTRPG focused podcast called the Dungeon Masters Block, which is basically focused on tips and tricks for whoever's running that game. Um, we really lean towards evergreen content because who knows what game you're actually playing? Who knows whether or not the company that makes it will do a bunch of stuff to get into the news and maybe you don't want to play it anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, things like that. So if you if you are interested in D&D and um, role play content, um, then like I said, Dungeon Masters Block, uh, wherever podcasts are found. All right, I got uh, I got to develop as good of a, a elevator speech as, as the Well Podcast does because every time I'm so impressed with them. Every time they're they're on the show, and I'm like, man, y'all y'all kill me on the on how good your elevator speeches are. When is this dropping, Greg? This is going to be dropping at the end of February. Okay, a couple weeks. I have a signing this Saturday, but 
it'll be come and gone by the time this drops. So I will retweet it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna unplug that. Oh, it was great. Everyone enjoyed it. <laughs> Do you have a signing coming up at like in March though? No, in April. <laughs> April. Okay. I'll be in Colorado in April at Wicked Expo, Wicked Comic Expo in April. If you ever come to Houston, um, I will do my best to come have say a con hi. invite me and I'll come. I'm pretty easy. <laughs> the rumors are true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else you, you'd like to plug, Greg, for uh, end of February coming into March? Uh, let's see. Uh, in February, if you haven't gotten it already, issue three of... Uh, Gargoyles will be out by the end of February <laughs> and coming into March issue four will be uh, uh, right around the corner. Uh, so I, and obviously I hope all our listeners are picking up every issue of Gargoyles, maybe not every cover that seems extreme, but um, every issue. Um, so, <laughs> and, so many covers, <laughs> so many covers. Uh <laughs> But yeah, at least one, pick up at least one issue, you know, pick your favorite cover and, and grab that one up. Uh, I'm really uh, happy with how the first piece of the here in Manhattan storyline comes to a conclusion with issue three. But I'm really, really excited with how things kick into gear in issue four. So uh, um I really hope, you know, people stick with us. Uh, we got great sales on the first two issues and we're hoping for the same for issues three and forward. So pick that up. Excellent. All right. Anyway, I do want to thank each and every one of you once again. Neil, thank you for coming on. Well, it's been such an inspiration to this show. It really, I've said this to Emily when she was on, but it really expanded my horizons for what a podcast like this can do zach thank you so much for giving us a place to host this show and for all the content you produce and it'll be out by now go listen to make mine mayday which he and his his and kelly's interview with tom defalco pat olive and ron friends it is sure to be a blast jennifer thank you once again for everything you do and thank you for enduring this with the root canal pain <laughs> you know we appreciate you and you and to our listeners Thank you for listening. Without you, there is no show. And join us next time. We're going to resume our regularly scheduled programming with High Noon. And Sally Richardson, the voice of Elisa Maza herself, is going to be joining us. So, until next time. Bye, everyone. Right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Woo. Bye. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast, powered by the Spidey Dude Radio Network, located at spidey-dude.com. If you like this show, then please listen to Spectacular Radio, based on the Spectacular Spider-Man animated series, which features some familiar voices. You can also find these great podcasts, Clone Saga Chronicles, Make Mine Mayday, Amazing Spider-Man Classics, The Sal Buscema Podcast, and Books of X. All of this and more on the Spidey Dude Radio Network. And please follow us on Twitter at From Eerie. That's From E Y R I E. And join us on Patreon at patreon.com/spideydudenetwork for more exclusive content. Thank you.
Let this mark the beginning of a golden age between all our clans, both human and gargoyle. <laughs>